welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is owner of Championship Mindset, Chad Busick. Chad works with both corporate and athletic teams. Chad is a master facilitator with Vance Sports Technology, working with college teams at the D1, D2, D3, and NAIA levels, as well as high school and competitive teams across various sports. In addition, he's a certified trainer for the Power of Positive Leadership training with the John Gordon Companies. Chad is also the co-host of the Championship Mindset podcast, as well as the author of his new book, The Rock Tumbler. Chad also hosted an ABCA webinar with Julie Nee December 2nd, 2020. You can look at that on the ABCA website. It was a great event on the Power of Positive Leadership. They're also hosting two more workshops on February 21st or February 22nd. You can sign up for either night at abca.org. This is a phenomenal episode for coaches and parents. Chad gives so many great resources and actionable tips for coaches and parents. Get your pad and pen ready. Let's welcome Chad Busick to the podcast. Here with Chad Busick, owner of Championship Mindset, author of the book Rock Tumbler, uh, Power of Positive Leadership Trainer for the John Gordon Company, uh, Twitter at Chad underscore Busick, and then website is championshipmindset.org. Did I cover all of it? Yeah, you got it. And uh, you can also get us the company's Twitter is at champ underscore mindset and Instagram and uh, Facebook are at championship mindset LLC. Perfect. You know, for people that don't know you, uh, can you talk about your background a little bit and what led you to this point? Yeah. Yeah. And then thank you for having me on it. Um, I know it's uh, exciting to be here and looking forward to our conversation. And uh, so I grew up in uh, central California, a small town that most people haven't heard of. It's called the Tascadero. And um, I knew early on, uh, probably about my junior or senior in high school, that I wanted to work with athletes on the mental side of the game. I played pretty much all sports growing up and kind of gravitated to soccer was kind of mine uh, that really kind of settled on. And I ended up going to a, a Division three school in uh, Southern California, Cal Lutheran University, played a couple of years on the soccer team there, majored in psychology. And at the time, uh, when I was coming out, I was looking at sports psychology. And at the time, most of the sports psychology 
departments were being run in the kinesiology or they were run out of the physical education, which is not really where they belong. So I took a flyer, I moved to San Diego, and there was a small school down here that was offering a sports psychology master's. Um, I went to school there for about a year and a half, and in the year and a half into the two-year program, the school went completely out of business. Um, and so I was kind of left to go, what do I do now? Um, and so I went a completely different path. I went a path into um, sales and sales management for probably 20 years. Um, but shortly after I had kids, I got reconnected back to coaching, um, and that was really a passion and a purpose of mine. I coached competitive soccer here in San Diego for 10 years. Uh, and then stepped away about uh, six years ago to really kind of dive into this mental aspect and leadership development with coaches and athletes and teams and now stuff on the corporate side as well. Everyone needs a little John Gordon in their life, don't they? Oh, my goodness. He is absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be a certified trainer with the John Gordon companies, Empower Positive Leadership. And um, the, the thing is, is you see from it from afar, and then when you get in, you start pulling away the layers, um, the people in the company are the real deal. Um, I've had been fortunate to you know, interview and have people on my podcast from the John Gordon Company. I'm just amazed how accessible they are. And the stories are amazing of people who have reached out, like don't even know him on social media, and he responds. He absolutely responds. And so uh, I'm a I'm a big fan for sure. Hey, what nudged you in that direction? I mean, I've read the books, but what nudged you to okay? I'm going to reach out to the John Gordon companies here and and see what's going on. Yeah, I, you know, I had read the Energy Bus, I had read the Hard Hat, um, read the Power of Positive Leadership, and so everything. And I and I found myself in the sessions that I was doing with the teams through Advanced Sports Technology or through my own content. I just found myself referencing his work and his ideas and how well they meshed with the stuff that I was already doing. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to do it, let's go through the training. Let's, you know, figure it out and really get, you know, dive in deeper. So that's really what led me to it. Just an, an organic, you know, love of what he was doing. And we had a great night, December 2nd with you and Julie Nee. That was awesome. The, the, the ABCA at home that we did with you guys was phenomenal. The, the attendee interaction was phenomenal. Now we have another one coming up here. You know, we've got two dates uh, for this workshop, Sunday, February 21st, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern, or Monday, February 22nd, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. That's on our website that you can register, abca.org. Is there any other place that they could register if they need to besides our website? Um, yeah, they can reach out directly to me, um, chat at championshipmindset.org, and I'm happy to get them the link through the Eventbrite to set up. Uh, and we're really looking forward to that session. You know, one of the things that we talk about is, you know, sometimes we we have a path that we think that we're going to go down, and then things change. And, you know, through that session, that great night that we had. Yeah, what was your um, reaction to, to December 2nd? <clears throat> It was amazing. I know it was a little different for you guys. And, you know, it took us a little bit to pull some I of the interaction it. out. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, it's um, we ask for a lot of interaction. We always say that the genius is in the room. And, and, and believe me, as much as, you know, the experience, the education that I have, the last thing I'm going to do is get in a group of coaches that are from the ABCA and try to tell them how to do what they do. Right. It's more of about getting them to think differently a little bit. We're so um, locked in a lot of times in the way in which we do it. Um, having that different voice coming in 
Um, and so I'm excited about what's coming up on February 21st and 22nd. We've changed it a little bit. Originally, we talked about doing the entire workshop or the entire training, which would have been seven hours. And, you know, the coaches kind of reached out and said, that's just too much. It's too much time, too, not right environment. Um, so we're really kind of put it down to just a workshop. And Julie, as you know, is amazing. She's and awesome. So I'm very fortunate to work with her. And we're going to go through um, kind of an overview. And it's going to be a three-hour session. We're going to hit a lot on the lessons, the seven lessons. But we're going to do it on a little bit higher level. Um, but there will definitely be a lot of takeaways for the coaches. And the timing, I think, is much better because it's right before the start of the season. Um, and so we want to be able to get that to the coaches. So we're looking forward to it. Yeah. And we talked about that, you know, coaching, as long as I did, you get into the season, you're going to have some, some, inf you know, conflicts here. You might have conflicts. So this might be a way to, to have some conflict resolution with your team to, to maybe save you some headaches during the season to get this out of the way. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I've been telling a lot of coaches that I've been working with that I believe that this season is the most important season of their coaching career. And honestly, Ryan, that's regardless as if we play a single game this year, this is what we need for the coaches. This is what they do. This is their moment to shine. Um, and that's what I'm all about right now is helping coaches to embrace the challenges, but really live in the opportunities. Um, so we can talk more about that, but yeah, absolutely. You know, I know you said just playing sports kind of got you into the peak performance side of it. Was there a specific person that kind of nudged you to get into the peak performance side of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Jim Madrid is the founder and CEO of AST, which is Advanced Sports Technology. And he's someone I met years ago when I went on that different path into the into the corporate side. I was in mortgage industry and they brought Jim in to speak and he had his 10 principles of IntelliKey. And I can still remember just like it was yesterday, the very first break, I was right up there, like introducing myself. This is amazing. We've got to do this for sports. We've got to do this for kids. And after things kind of went crazy with the mortgage industry, we kind of went, you know, our different ways. And then uh, probably about eight years ago, he reached back out to me. He said, you know, Chad, you always talked about doing this for sports. Uh, we're doing it and it's called AST. It's the seven fundamentals of mental fitness. And, uh, I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for his belief in me and his, uh, you know, pushing and, and mentoring for sure. We had some really good zoom calls. So this is a comfortable conversation for me because we've talked to each other. And the great thing about my job is I get to interact with passionate, successful people. And it does remind me of coaching, you know, dealing with 18 to 22 year olds, you would feed off people's energy. So I appreciate the energy that you have and that you bring to our conversations. Yeah, thank you. I, it's, it's not just, I always tell people all the time, it's, um, it's not just a passion, right? It's more uh, of a purpose. And the difference that I tell people all the time, passion, like your passion and my passion, it's, it's hard to share the same passions with other people. Um, but a purpose that's a whole different thing. I can get behind, I can come alongside you and I can support you in your purpose and other people with me. And that's really what I'm about with coaches. I understand that nobody understands the challenges that coaching brings than other coaches. Um, and I like to bring like-minded coaches together, share with them some insights that I might have and really connect them back to their purpose. Because, you know, so much about being a successful baseball coach has nothing to do with the sport of baseball. It has everything to do with being a good leader, people management, you know, managing teams, expectations, all of that. So 
really connecting them back to their purpose. Can you talk a little bit how the the website and then the podcast kind of play off of each other for you? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go back a step and and say that you know, obviously, 2020 was an amazing, unprecedented year, and for me, 2020 was going to look a lot different than I thought it was if you went back to like March of last year. You know, I was set up to have you know my best year ever in what I was doing with my business, um, and then all of a sudden, it just basically went away overnight. And I said, well, okay, now what, right? What you had planned wasn't, isn't an option. So what's the other option? And we kind of went back to this idea of um, one of the first principles of IntelliKey is called take change by the hand. So we've really been working with athletes and coaches, and I've done it with teachers all over the country, probably done the session close to 50 times or maybe even more. Um, And it's just getting people to think differently and so now as I look at beginning of 2021, um, you know, while 2020 looked differently, it was the first, it was the year I published my first book. I launched the entire website that you were talking about and the idea of this podcast came about. And so it's, even though our path, and I always tell coaches that it may not look the way that you, and rarely do, do you set a vision and you just go straight to the vision. Usually it's a, it's a windy, curvy road that's got a lot of roadblocks and dead ends and, and all of that, and speed bumps, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's idea of keeping moving in that direction. And so for me, the website and the podcast, the championship mindset formula, it's just all of more resources for coaches to help them and, and athletes to help them what they're doing take the change by the hand. It reminds me of who moved my cheese. That was one I, that was in my early days of coaching. And so I gravitated towards who'd move my cheese just because it talked about handling change and, you know, not complaining about it and taking the bull by the horns. And I think the whole, the entire baseball industry, if you look at our virtual convention and everything that we had to go through from June until January, the entire baseball industry pivoted and I'm just been so impressed by how everyone has handled the challenges of, of what's going on. And, uh, you know, it's been amazing to watch the process for everybody. Yeah. And you see people on a continuum, right? There are people in all areas of that perspective and it's, some people are like really taking it and they're moving a completely different and other people are completely stuck. Right. And so what we've been doing is we've been talking about, and it really comes back to, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work on stages of grieving and death and dying and going into the stages of denial and anger and bargaining and uh, depression and acceptance. And when you think about it, when you go back to March of last year, when the lockdown started happening, that's really what we've been doing. We're really grieving all of the things that we've lost. We're grieving the life that we think that we're entitled to. Um, and so it's getting them to think differently. And there's a great story that I share with teams. It's um, the story of Kobe Bryant. And, you know, Kobe coming out of high school was, you know, straight into the NBA, 18, 19 years old. Uh, and he's playing in the NBA. And at the end of his rookie season, he's trusted to take the game winning shot in an elimination game in the playoffs against the Utah Jazz. And he comes down, a few seconds left, gets to the free throw line. He shoots, he elevates, and completely misses uh, an air ball, like didn't even touch the net. And so it goes into overtime and in overtime, five more minutes and the greatest, one of the greatest players ever to play the game, more air balls. In fact, three more air balls in the five minutes. 
And the last one came with a couple of seconds left, a chance to tie the game, and he completely blew it. Well, here's why I share that story with coaches. And when you look around the world today and even take the events of last week at the Capitol, right, we see a lot of people with an emotional response to whatever the circumstances that they're facing. And a lot of people responded emotionally to the events of COVID, the social justice. And Kobe didn't respond emotionally. He responded tactically. And he said, well, why did I miss? And what he did is he did some research. And what he came up with was the fact that he was playing, he used to play in 30 to 35 games a year in high school. And now he's playing his 105th, 110th game of the season. In other words, his body wasn't prepared for what he was asking it to do in that moment. And it gave him a path forward to get into the gym, do the workout, so we would never experience that again. And we want people in the world to be thinking, and we call it high-performance tactical thinking. We want to acknowledge the emotions, but we want to respond tactically. Think about where the world would be right now if we had more people with high-performance tactical thinking. Yeah, Sam Harris, uh, he wrote Waking Up, a phenomenal book, um, but he had a podcast. He has a podcast called Making Sense, but he had a really good take on the Capitol storming, talking about the left and the right and, and the parts that, that both sides played in it. I thought it was a phenomenal listen, and I do study Buddhism quite a bit, but impermanence is, and this is a stoicism thing as well, like you just have to take life on that journey is like things are going to change and there's impermanence with it. And so you just have to fully expect that even if things are going well, that there might be a setback or if things aren't real good for you right now, just understand with the impermanence piece of it, that things will probably get better. You just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm reading a book right now. I'm only about halfway through. It's called Upstream yeah. by Dan Heath. And I love his idea in there that he says that every system is perfectly designed to produce the results in which it produces. The results of the capital last year, last week, and all the things that we're dealing with on that side, it's the system that we've created. Yeah. It's perfectly designed to produce, you know, what that is. So. I love your mission statement, uh, helping people understand and develop high performance thinking through a vision of championship mindset, actions and behaviors identified through personal affirmation and the purpose and values of a focus mindset. And we'll get into the acronym focus here. But can you talk about your mission statement, how you came to that? Yeah, I mean, really what, you know, I've done a lot of work with companies and, you know, and Jim Madrid was instrumental on this. And so many companies have a mission statement and then they just put it up on the wall and nobody can live it, right? It just, it's great, it looks great framed, but it gathers dust. And so what I really wanted to go after was back to this idea of this high performance thinking. And it's its really a triangle um, that we work off of, right? So on the very top of the triangle is the what, it's the vision of what you want to accomplish. But a vision by itself isn't gonna be good enough, right? So then we have to look at, well, what are the actions and the behaviors that are gonna help us onto that vision. So that's really the how, which is the bottom right of the triangle, which is really kind of that championship mindset formula. And then the other side of that is, okay, now you've got a great vision and you've got the actions and the behaviors to go with it. But if you don't have a purpose, a reason, a why behind why you want to achieve that vision and, wh and how, why that you do that, then it's going to fall apart as soon as there's any challenges. So it's those three things. And so that's what we've really shaped it is the what, the how, and the why. And so we talked a little bit about that, yeah. Take us through the acronym focus. Yeah, so when I 
kind of went through that. I, I, I'm a bit, we talked about John Gordon earlier and how I got to focus was the one word. And if we have time, we can kind of go into that. My, mine's interdependence for this year. That's, that's my awesome? one word. I don't know if it's like, <clears throat> I just kind of come up with my one word. I don't know if that's like the strict uh, thing that you have to do, yeah. but I throw my own words in there at times. Uh, interdependence speaks to me because we're all connected and we need everyone to be successful. And I think with all the infighting that you see now, we need more of that in the world that we are all connected. And I think when you see someone as, as a human being, I think all those barriers come down, and so I do feel like we are all interdependent on each other. <laughs> it's a great word, Ryan, because when you look at just COVID, it's like everyone thought they were in their own little bubble, and they realized so quickly how interdependent we really are, right? That it's a, this huge world, but it's really small because this virus has been able to get to all reaching areas of the world. Um, so yeah, so the one word, just for the listeners that aren't familiar with it, is and it's a great time to talk about that as we're in the middle of January. Um, rather than setting New Year's resolutions, which the statistics are pretty good. 8% make it the yeah. entire year. It's 8% yeah. make the 12-month the calendar year. Yeah. So and, like, and you shouldn't I even think, do it. Yeah, and on the other side of that, I think it's something like 80% or at least 50% um, don't even make it through January, Yes. right? So the idea was instead of doing a New Year's resolution, um, pick a word. Um, it's this idea of a one word. It was a book that was written by John Gordon, Jimmy Page, and Dan Britton. And the idea behind it is you pick a word and you said that, you know, kind of how the word kind of finds you, right? Um, and then you live into that word. And, and the crazy thing about it is, and I've done it for three or four years now. And so the original one word that I did was focus. And it just was, you know, what do I want to focus on? So many things out there. Um, vying for our attention. And so focus became the word. And then I started working on the acronym. And so for me, focus stands for the F is for family. It starts with being a good husband and a good father and being good for my family. Um, the second one is for others. The O is for others. And that's the coaches, the people that I get to interact with and get to pour into. Um, the C is for Christ. Um, faith is really important to me. And so it has to be the center of everything. If it's not the center, and it just so happens that the C is in the center of focus, I'm not going to be good to anybody if I can't have that as my the, the center. Um, the U is for unseen. Um, and that really comes from a verse in 2 Corinthians 4.18. And that really talks about the world really kind of defines what's important to us and what is seen, right? It's about the car, the house, the job, the, you know, the title, all of these things. And when we look at sports, the scene is, you know, the stats, are you a starter? Are you a captain? I want to focus on the unseen, the other aspect of it. And then the last area is the S is for self. And that's taking care of myself physically, mentally, spiritually, all of those things. Take us through the differences of maybe working with soccer players or soccer coaches as opposed to the, the baseball world. Are there any differences or is it still the same? You're trying to develop that championship mindset on, on, in, in any walk of life. Yeah, so after, there's always differences, but there's a lot of similarities as well, right? And you know, I always, one of the things that blows me away when I'm working with athletic departments, and I did a session that Take Change by the Hand a couple of days ago with an athletic department, and you have these coaches from all these different sports that are on the same team, right? They coach for the same university and how rarely they actually interact with each other. 
It's crazy. I, it's it, crazy. Like I that I loved my experience at Western Illinois for all the challenges of not having a budget and some of the challenges. We were a family. Our athletic department was a family. We were all on top of each other. We didn't have much, so we all kind of fought together. And so if a program in our athletic department won, like everybody celebrated, but worked at a Big Ten school, not the case. Um, you know, it, it's crazy the difference with the athletic departments. And, and that's part of it. Like you have a good athletic department if everybody's pulling for each other. Yeah. And it's what it really is more than anything, Ryan, it's a missed opportunity is what it is, right? You can be successful in your own little silo that you build on your program. But, you know, I love, there was a book I was reading recently and it was talking about North Carolina and they interviewed Dean Smith, right? And was about his program. And his response was, he goes, we're not a basketball program. Worst women's soccer program because Anson Dorrance Anson Dorrance, won 22 he's national the man. championships. He's the man. Right? I, I mentioned Anson Dorrance in uh in our uh one of our after Q and A's during the convention because I would pay attention to Anson Dorrance. I mean, he's one of the most successful coaches of all time in anything. I loved they do core value symbols. So th- he brings these symbols from all over the world, and so they mean something. Like any coaches listening in. Google Anson Dorrance core value symbols. Those symbols are phenomenal that he uses with their program. I'll give you a great Anson Dorrance story. And it comes from a book that I just finished reading called Every Moment Matters by John O'Sullivan. And if the coaches haven't read it, it is a phenomenal read. It really goes back. It actually builds off of Joe Ehrman's book, Inside Out Coach. Great book. Great which book. is an amazing Life-changing reading. book. Yes. And it really talks about, you know, why do you coach? Why do you coach the way you do? And how does it feel to be coached by me? And that's really what John O'Sullivan talks about in his book. But he tells the story of Anson Dorrance. Um, You know, we talk about the, I think he's won 22 national championships um, at North Carolina. And we talk about valuing the person over the player. And he has a practice that uh, John O'Sullivan talks about in the book that when he plays in the national championship game, when they get to the national championship game, he writes basically a handwritten letter to all of the seniors that they then read in the locker room before they go out onto the field. Right now, the crazy thing about it is I think that he's won, I think 21 out of 22 of the game of the national championship games that his he's been in, right? The winning percentage in the most important game of the season is like off the charts compared to even the rest of the season. And it comes down to this idea of valuing the person over the player. And you put that together. Now you have freshmen and sophomores and juniors running out of that tunnel to play in that championship game, playing for so much more than them because they wanted that letter in their career too. Well, the other thing that letter probably does too, is it allows them to release. They're going to release some, some anxiety and stress by reading that letter. There might be some tears involved that might be a way to allow them to relax and go play because they are going to release some of that built up anxiety that they probably have playing for a national championship. Yeah, I think um, you're absolutely right. And, and one of the, one of my favorite sayings right now is that leaders aren't responsible for the results. They're responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. And so often as coaches, we think we live and die based on the scoreboard right? Whether we win, lose, what's our batting average, what's our win-loss percent, all of those things. 
and we get disconnected from we're really in the people business, right? It's really about setting the people up. And we watch so many players play from a position of fear, the fear of failure. Um, and when you do that, it's just gripping and you just see it just melt, right? Um, and their abilities and coaches, we have so much of an influence on how they play in that moment and encouraging them and building them up for that moment and preparing them. And so much of that, and that's why I love about being able to have this conversation with you, is that we always understand that the game, coaches by nature are going to focus on the technical, tactical, physical part of the game. But we all, one of the first things we do when we talk to coaches or players, parents, whatever, is ask them, you know, what percentage of the game is mental, right? And, you know, go back to the Yogi Berra quote, right? 90% of the game is mental and the rest is in your head, yeah. right? And that's really what it comes down to. And we're... And, we're realistic about what we do, right? You're even if the game is 80% mental, we're not going to spend 80% of our time sitting around doing the visualization and not doing any physical because we're not going to be any good. Right. But coaches need to be intentional about bringing the mental side into their teams and making it part of their culture. I, one of our first conversations, you started talking about soccer and you're like, sorry, I'm going to talk about soccer. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I love soccer. That Those were my best memories growing up of, of going to Glenn Muehlbauer's house and playing front yard soccer. And I would walk home with, you'd get, you'd knock somebody into a bush. They'd knock you into a bush. You'd get knocked on the sidewalk. So I'd, I, I would walk home with a smile on my face with, with scrapes on my elbows and my knees. But soccer was my first love. And my dad was a college baseball coach, but... Soccer was my first love. I loved soccer, and lucky I went to a high school that had a really good baseball and soccer tradition. So um, soccer is is my first love of a sport. Well, and I, and I think to bring it back to your the conversation we were having a little bit earlier about the missed opportunity of the dynamics within athletic departments at the college level or high school level is that, you know, while I might be coaching a different sport than your coaching or someone else's coaching, the challenges that I face – are probably very similar to the challenges you face and your role in your department, right? Recruiting, dealing with um, challenging players, um, you know, dealing with injuries, um, changes in the schedule. I, I do some stuff with uh, Trinity International University outside in Chicago, and Patrick Gilliam is the women's soccer coach, and I'm fortunate that my daughters both get get to play with him and he play for him, and he's a he is definitely a mentor first and a coach second. Um, he's been there for 25 years. He's number three on the all-time wins list for NAIA, right? And he told me earlier in the summer, he goes, Chad, I feel like a rookie coach right now. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so much power in that statement to understand that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to walk as you're walking, not just in front of, but beside your players through something that none of us have ever been through before. Um, and just share that with them and say, look, we're going to try this. It may work. It may not. But that vulnerability, um, it's so powerful. And it's something that helps actually your players want to even follow you more. We would have individual coaches meetings at Western. And a lot of it was how we were going to sell the school as an athletic department. We had some challenges. We didn't have fancy stuff. But our success rate in the baseball program of getting kids to say yes was extremely high. So we would be in those head coaches meeting going over tips of like how to make sure kids want to say yes to coming to Western. I, those head coaches meetings for me were great because again, we were all pulling. I met with, with recruits of other programs 
because I'd been all over the country, so I probably had, could have a conversation with somebody that was just chipping in. We all chipped in to try to get kids to say yes, and which was so gratifying when a coach would come in and be like, hey, we that person you talked to, that kid you talked to, they're, they're, they said yes. Like That was so gratifying for me because you felt like you were helping everybody then. Yeah, it's and you know the crazy thing about it is when you think about the recruiting, you think about players coming to the program, you know, is the baseball, is the sport important? Yes, obviously, right? But so much that goes into the decision of coming and going to a college has a lot to not to do with baseball. It's, you know, the personal interactions, it's, you know, it's the culture within the program. Um, and so that's really important is building culture. And you think about I ask people this all the time now, as I say, you know, looking back, you know, raise your hand if you think that everything has changed in the world, right? And everybody raises that, oh my gosh, everything has changed. And I say, nothing has changed. And they say, wait, how is that possible? How can everything change and nothing change? And the reason I say that is because I believe when we're talking baseball coaches, we're talking about teams and the culture they have. I believe players are looking for four things. And some of this comes from uh, Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code. Great book. Um, some of it's Brene Brown stuff. Um, but the idea behind it is that players were looking for these four things years ago. They were looking for these four things when they came, decided to come to play for you. They're looking for it certainly now in the world. And honestly, they're going to be looking for these four things in all aspects of their life for the rest of their life. right? And it really begins with safety you got to create a safe environment. If you don't feel safe, then you're not going to be able to risk anything. And so many coaches start with this idea of a common vision that we want to win a conference tournament. We want to, you know, we want to win, right? That that's number four, right? Number one is safety. The second one is create a culture of belonging. And I love Brene Brown's definition of belonging versus fitting in. Hey, right? Gift of Imperfection for me is a phenomenal yep. book. I would give it to some players. If I had players that were perfectionists that couldn't let bad performances go, I would have them read that book. It's like, hey, you need to read this. Uh, I know you may not think it's going to speak to you, but this book will speak to you. And hey, back up to those recruits that I would meet with. When those kids were struggling, when they showed up, they knew they could come in my office, even though they didn't play for me. I would have those athletes that I talked to, or if their parents were on campus for parents weekend or whatever, I'd see them. And again, that just creates that family atmosphere within your athletic department. Yeah, that, that's a great book and uh, daring greatly dare to lead just, yes. but when you talk about the difference between fitting in and belonging, and she does a great job describing this, she says fitting in requires you to change who you are to kind of chameleon morph into whatever environment, culture, circumstances that you're in. Belonging is the exact opposite. It just requires you to be who you are. And as a culture, we bring you in good, bad, otherwise, and we accept that. And then we build from there. So safety, belonging. Um, the third one is shared vulnerability. And this is a tough one sometimes, especially in men's sports that, you know, guys don't really want to be vulnerable. Um, but that it's been said that, uh, you know, our strengths may be what brings us together, right? We may bring, bring the best, most talented players that we can bring together, but we connect through our weaknesses, right? And we being able to cover for each other. And that's a really powerful thing. And that shared vulnerability and teams, you know, connected teams, you know, they may not win all the time, but they're really tough to beat because they are connected. Um, and then the last one is common vision. 
right? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? Those type of things. So it's everything has changed, but nothing has changed. And going back to Patrick for a minute, he has a great way to kind of sum that up. He talks about coaching as a short-term experience and a lifetime impact. When you think about coaching players, at most, you may get four, maybe five years at the college level coaching a player, right? It's a short-term experience, but it's a lifetime impact. Um, and that's really a, a something to remember for coaches. You're a licensed national D coach with U.S. Soccer, USA Soccer. Um, how does that help on this now? I mean, you, you have an understanding of what coaches are going through. Yeah, it really helps um, coming into the room and, you know, having a history, a, a past of coaching, right? And, and certainly I didn't coach at the highest levels and the college level and things like that. I was more in the, in the youth and competitive, but it helps me um, relate to them, understanding um, one of the biggest things that I deal with coaches a lot is I ask them, you know, going back to kind of the Joe Ehrman kind of stuff about, you know, why do you do, but I ask them a different way. I ask them, you know, write down the most important thing. What's most important in your life? And they typically write down their family, their, you know, friends, loved ones, spouse, kids, all those things that are most important. And then I ask them about, you know, how they define success. I ask them about, you know, the job they do. And then I put the two together and I say, you realize that to be the coach, when you're talking about coaching athletics, in order to do that job, it requires you to be away from all the things that you just wrote down were the most important in your life. So you better have a really big purpose. You better have a really big why as to behind why you want to coach, because those two are going to be in constant conflict with each other. You got to make sure you have that worked out. You coached on the youth side. What recommendations do you have for youth coaches? Yeah, youth coaches, I, I think the big, a couple big things that I would say is you got to get to the parents early and often. Um, you know, let them know what your expectations are. Um, people ask Joe Ehrman, you know, what kind of season are we going to have? He goes, I don't know, I'll tell you in 25 years, right? I mean, we need to set the expectation early and often with parents and players at the youth level. Um, I'm amazed at how few parents let their kids fail. Um, we, you know, uh, there's a great book called The Gift of Failure by Jessica Leahy. Phenomenal read. I can't recommend it enough for parents. Um, you know, and I love this analogy. She used, to, she said, you know, we used to have to worry about the helicopter parent, right? The helicopter parent was just over always, you know, making sure their kid was fine, putting them in a little bubble. We've replaced the helicopter parent with the bulldozer parent, right? Now it's just bulldozing the way through, look out world, I'm preparing a path because my kid's amazing and here they come. Um, and I tell teams and I'll, I'll be really upfront with parents when I'm working I very rarely, if ever, will sign up to do stuff with a youth team or a youth organization without doing something with the parents, because the parents are so quick to sabotage everything. And even, and I'm amazed at reading some of the other books, um, that the interaction, even at the college level, that college coaches really need to have with the parents as well. But it's setting this, I tell them, I go, you know what I want for your kids? I want them to be really good at failing. And they look at me like this, they're like jaw drops. They're like, are you serious? Why would you ever want that for my kid? And I go back to one of my favorite sayings is that the path to success is paved by mistakes well handled. They've got to make mistakes. They have to 
find their way. And yes, we want to be there to support them and encourage them and pick them up. But we've created an entire culture of kids that when they go out, you watch them on the field, Ryan. They play the game. And as soon as they make a mistake, they practically break their neck, whipping over to the sideline, either to look at what their parents' reaction was or to look at what the coaches' reaction Yeah, they're looking for reassurance from somewhere instead of understanding that that's part of the journey is making mistakes. So you just got to keep pushing forward. Hey, Nick Sussman spoke at the youth stage this year. He runs the Urban Youth Academy in, in D.C. for the Nationals. It was on creating parents as advocates for your program it was phenomenal uh he did a great job it was 40 minutes chock full of great information to how on how to create parents and that relationship and and make them advocates for your program it was phenomenal yeah they they did a study years ago they did it was a 10-year study across all sports and they asked kids, um, and basically it was, what is the least favorite thing or what are the things they dislike the most about playing competitive sports? The number one answer was the car ride home after yeah. the game, right? And the, the most powerful thing that you can say to your kids uh, when they're playing and the game is over uh, is, I just really enjoy watching you play. Because think about it, as kids, we're only going to get a short window where we get to watch them play. Um and, and I'll give you a great story um, that relates to back to this idea of failure. So my younger daughter was a sophomore in high school and she was playing, uh, she had been used to playing defense, but she was playing outside defense and they moved her in her high school season to center back. So she's a sophomore playing in a new position, playing, uh, starting against these older players. Center's and, the field general. Man, yeah. That, that's the field general in the middle of the soccer field. Yeah, so she she plays this game. We're playing against this really tough team. And early in the game, this senior, really fast player gets there, beats her, dribbles in on goal, shoots and scores. And then, you know, later in the half, she's like right up top of the box. She gets, same girl gets the ball up against my daughter, does this like crazy, like step over, turn, move, whatever. Literally breaks my daughter's ankles right there on the field. In the box, shoots and scores again. Well, the game ends and... We go down to, and my daughter's just like, I don't feel well. I don't want to ride home on the bus. I want to ride home with you guys. And she's just like completely turned herself, literally made herself sick in this moment. So she gets in the car and I said to her, she, she throws her bag in the back in the trunk, slams the trunk, gets down, hands crossed, just, you know, this mad look on her face. And I turned to her and I go, Morgan, what a great game. And she's like, looks at me I'm like, what a great game. She's like, are you kidding me? Did you even watch that game? I was terrible. That girl completely destroyed me. She turned me inside out. She beat me. I looked bad. I told you I can't play center back. I want to go back to the outside. And I just let her go, right? It was like a fish hitting the lure and she just went, right? And then I, after she went for a little bit, I said, yeah, Morgan. I said, and look how much better you got today. Look how much you improved. Yeah, that girl is ridiculously talented. But you learned through the game that you had to give her no space or you had to give her a lot of space. And you actually took the ball away from her several times through the game and you got better today. But the way you thought about it, your mindset towards it, you physically have made yourself sick. And now you're riding home with us rather than being on the bus with your team and enjoying that after the game, even through a loss, that bonding in that, that environment. So our words as parents are so powerful. I need to choose them very carefully um, and encourage them to fail 
um, and encourage them to learn in those environments. Yeah, it's part of redirecting. You got to redirect those those tough moments to to something positive. As a parent and also as a player, you have to be able to redirect and reframe and and turn those negatives into positives. Because if not, you'll end up not wanting to play anymore. Because then that all gets built up, and then you start dreading coming to the field. And and that's a that's a tough place to be when you start dreading coming to the field. Yeah, and then we wonder why when they get there they don't perform well, right? I mean, it it goes back to that conversation. I tell I I'm fortunate. I actually enjoy it. I, when I work with parents, I get to do and say things to parents that you know coaches could never say to them, right? So I I say to parents, this is one of my favorite things to say. I say, you know, have you ever had a game where you just watch the game and your you just your kid's head just wasn't in the game and like all the parents are like nodding their head they're raising their oh my gosh all the time and they're like sitting on the edge of the seat waiting for what I'm gonna say to them like how they can help in this moment and I say to them I'm like well let's rewind the tape what was the conversation like on the way to the game was it something like well do you think you'll start today well I wonder if they're gonna play so and so because you're so much better than so and so and are you gonna bat third in the lineup why does coach have you batting sixth in the lineup right and then all of a sudden the, the, the expression completely changes and the parents are like, oh, I do that. I'm like, and let's rewind the tape a little bit. Let's go back to practice. What was conversation like when they got home from practice? Hey, what'd you guys work on on practice today? Oh, we worked on defense, right? Fielding. Fielding? Why would you work on that? You guys are, you know, fielding the ball great. The hitting is what's terrible and the situational awareness. Why aren't you working on that? And we filled our kids' heads with all of these things no wonder they can't succeed in that moment. Yeah, I had a coach reach out to me. He was like, hey, will you meet with the parents? I'm like, for sure. I said, but you need to preface them. Their feelings might get hurt. I'm just from 22 years of, of going through it with my players and their parents, I will do it, but just make sure that they know that it'll be completely honest and they may get their feelings hurt a little bit, but I, I'm okay. I'm trying to make it better for their kids. Well, and, and ultimately, Ryan, that's really what it comes down to, right? They get stuck in in patterns of behavior that they just don't realize that they're really in. And, you know, I'm amazed when you look at the youth sports environment in general, right? There's no doubt in my mind that these parents want the best for their kids. I mean, look at the financial, the time, the 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 family commitment to support our kids in those endeavors. And and, and for good reason, right? I really believe that as we go through and, and continue in the world that players who play team sports are going to be invaluable in businesses, in life, and in leadership, in all of those things. Um, and so we need more kids playing sports. We need more kids playing sports for longer. And the parents are right to put that time, energy, and money. I think just sometimes they, they lose their way a little bit. Right? They, they don't quite know how to support the players and, and how to support their child in that. Um, and they get stuck a lot in the comparison game and comparing others. Um, social so comparison is awful. Yeah, I wrote the about social it in comparison. Uh, yeah, can we talk about the Rock Tumblr a little bit? Yeah, so, um, and I'll talk specifically about the comparison in a minute, but I, I know the, the title of the book is called The Rock Tumblr. A lot of people don't know what a rock tumbler is, or maybe you remember it from when you were growing up, but it's a, a rock tumbler, a rock polisher. And the idea is, is you put these rocks into a tumbler with water and grit, and then it spins 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The whole process takes over a month. And the idea behind the rock tumbler is that it can either grind you down, chew you up and spit you out, 
or it can help shape and mold you into the person or into the rock that you're meant to be. And so I really use it as an analogy for life. And I put the, the way I designed the book was kind of the idea is that how you view the world and more importantly, how you interact with the world greatly determines what you get out of the world. And the second idea behind the book is that our circumstances, whether good or bad, don't define who we are, who we play for, who we live for. But how we respond to those circumstances will reveal who we are, who we play for, who we live for. So the book is in three parts. It's a super easy read, take you less than an hour. It's my kind of book. It's got pictures and it's a fable. It's a you know, made up story of uh, two rocks that I find on a run one day, Chip and Corey. And uh, we follow them. So it's part A is the ingredients that go into the tumbler. Part B is the process that happens inside the tumbler. And then part C is the results that we get. Um, and throughout that, there are 16 life lessons that we can take from the rock tumbler. And, and one of them is this idea of comparison. And when we look at social media today and, and kids especially, you know, everyone's comparing themselves to this made up fake world where, you know, no one puts their worst on social media. It's a like, trap. Look at me. It's a My trap. It's just laying there for you. That social media trap is just laying yeah. there for you. Yeah. And it's an amazing tool and it's an amazing resource when used properly. Right. I don't want to bag on social media too much because the ability to connect with others, to connect with people and, and do that is awesome. I put it but, out the other day. I was like, now that everybody kind of knows what the AI is doing, can we just get a reboot? Like, can, can the socials just clean everybody's account and then everybody gets a do over because now everybody kind of knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. So I, um, you know, when it cut, like, for example, Facebook, I just got on Facebook in like five months ago. And I finally broke down to do it because of my company and having to have it with Instagram and things like I that. I was one like, of the first ones and literally have not been on. I'll, I'll, I'll get notification updates on people's birthdays with, I, which I appreciate. I get a text from them, but literally have not interacted on in that space. And I don't know since the, since the documentary, the great hack. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so one of the ones, and we're talking about comparison, right? And this is a big one that, I, that players fall into, parents fall into as well. Um, and when we compare ourselves to others, um, one of two things happens, and neither of them are positive, right? So if we compare ourselves to others, let's take baseball, for example. So we're going to compare ourselves and, you know, we're better than whatever player on our team. We're just a better hitter, let's say, right? But when we compare ourselves to others, then we have to deal with pride, right? And we set our standards, our expectation, not on our God-given abilities or our potential, but based on the fact that we're better than someone else. So we don't fully realize our potential. And when, on the other side, when we compare ourselves to others and we come up short, that they're just a better pitcher, a better defender, they're faster, whatever it might be then we shortchange ourselves. We have envy, right? We shortchange ourselves with the abilities that we do have. And we start being outward focused instead of inward focused. And when we look at, when we talk about a championship mindset, and it's something that we've been talking a lot on our podcast with our you know, guest, is that this idea of a championship mindset is that if we're gonna get into the comparison game, then at least let's compare ourselves to ourselves. Are we better today than we were yesterday? Are we going to be better tomorrow than we were today? And when we think about your abilities, um, everyone's been given, and this um, we talk about that, and it's 
it's one of the things that the true sign of a championship mindset. And when we look back on it, it's not how I did compared to others, but just how close did I get to my full potential in any area of my life, right? I may not be the best baseball player, but did I, how close did I get to my full potential? That's the real comparison that we want to watch. Do you have a fail forward moment? I mean, is it the mortgage stuff? Um, you know, something that at the time you thought was going to really set you back and looking back now might've been the best thing that happened to you. Yeah. Um, there's a couple obviously, um, that I look at, but when I look at the mortgage industry, you know, I was super successful in the industry, you know, you know, one of the top sales companies or sales people in the country, um, did really well. Um, and then it all fell apart. Um, but it was through that falling apart that it reconnected me to coaching. It reconnected me to my purpose. And what I found was, is while I was like super successful, making kinds of money, a couple of houses, I mean, I, you know, all of that stuff, it was all for me, right? It was, it was great for me and my family, but there wasn't a lot else besides that. Um, and so through those moments, um, it connected me back to coaching and, and I wouldn't be doing what I do now if I wouldn't have gone through those difficult times and those challenges. Um, and I wouldn't change it for the world now either because it's, it's so much more rewarding, so much more fulfilling. Um, one of my favorite sayings in life is, you know, from Zig Ziglar. He said that you can get everything in life that you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. Um, and I think about the world around us, what would it look like if more people live like that? Right. It's, it's such a me first world. And, um, it's refreshing. I want to be around people. And we talked about John Gordon and Jim Madrid. These are all people that want to give back, right? They, they're taking their gifts, their talents, the things they were given, and they realized it wasn't for them. It was for other people. Um, and that's the real sign. Yeah. I said the other, other day, find your passion and get paid for it. Like that, that's yep. the key to, you know, your purpose, find your purpose and get paid for it. Like that's, that's the key to living a, a long and healthy life is find what your purpose is. And then hopefully you can get paid to do that. Um, I was going to ask you about resources and books, and but you've given us like 50 books, which is phenomenal. Like I'm writing, you know, some I've read, some I haven't. I, I love interviewing people because I always get, you know, personally and selfishly, I get great resources from the guests. Um, any morning or evening routines that you do that you like that you feel like help you stay on top of your schedule? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, and I'll tie it back to this kind of championship mindset and, and everything. So you know, years ago, you know, playing soccer, I was always in pretty decent shape. Obviously, you got to be in pretty good shape to play soccer. <laughs> and then Two a days. I, all right. The yeah. guy I played for in high school played at SLU and was awesome. But in August in Evansville, Indiana, and in southern Indiana is about 100 with 90% yeah. humidity. So our early mornings from 6 a.m. to 7.30, we ran. Like, it was all yeah. running. And then we came back in the afternoon and practiced. I talk about gut check time though those that week and a half of two days for in August in southern Indiana you found out a lot about yourself yeah absolutely and so I you know after I stopped playing um you know then I just got out of the routine and everything and then you know I go through this we talked about resolutions earlier and I, I go through this period it's like okay you know I'm gonna get in shape and I would start running again and then that kind of fell off after a while. So then I set a goal. I'm like, well, I'm going to run a half marathon, right? That will solve my problem for me. So I set the goal of a half marathon and I went on a, you know, three month training program, did all the trains, the workouts. I ran my half marathon. And then I said, well, I'll take a week off. And then it was 
oh, two weeks, then it was a month. So I said, well, that didn't work very well. I know I'll run a marathon. So I set the goal, did the whole thing again, you know, got done with the marathon, met my goal. And then I said, I'll take a week off. It became two weeks, three weeks, and it just kind of fell apart. And a while back, a buddy of mine read an article about running streaks. And he said, you know, I think I'm going to do this. And, and he said, the goal was to run three miles or 27 minutes um, every day for a year straight. And I said, I'm in. So I did it. I met the goal. I ran every 365 days in a row, never missed a day. So do you know what I did on day 366? Ran again. I ran again. Yeah, because you're in the habit. Because I'm in the habit and I ran again. You built a Um, habit. So in April of this year, so, and I always talk forward because I'm forward thinking about that. So basically three months from today, it'll be 10 years in a row without missing a single day. That's awesome. Right? And- what it's done is, and then the reason I share that with you, like, and people go like, you haven't been sick. You, I mean, I've got crazy stories of how I kept the streak going. Right. And just, but the thing is, is it's not a, it becomes not about the streak, Right. And it's not that I'm happy. You know, I'm most proud of the fact that I've run for almost 10 years in a row with never missing a day. It's all the days that I wouldn't have run in the past that I still found a way to do it. And I will tell you this, it has become a routine I crave those 30 minutes because what it's done is through COVID and all these other things, it allows me to disconnect from the world around me. It allows me to connect with nature. And when you think, and John Gordon talks about this a lot, a gratitude walk, right? Um, Those type of practices, we need to recharge. We need to refresh all of those things. And so connecting with nature, you know, doing the gratitude piece of it, you know, getting out in a way, um, it, it's so important. And so, yes, I'm, um, and it's been, and actually, when you look at the rock tumbler, most of what I wrote in that book and a lot of the championship mindset for me, a lot of the creativity comes from my time running and walking and actually done studies that say that when you go out and you walk or do a slow jog, that it occupies just enough of your left brain, your left side of your brain that's more dominant, that it opens up more of your right brain and creativity. So if you're struggling with the problem, you're, you know, get out in the world, connect with nature, and you'll be amazed at what that does. And it brings some normalcy back. I mean, with all the craziness that's, that's going on, you have that routine every day. So it brings some normalcy back, even if it's insane out in the world, you, you create some normalcy in your life because you have a set routine. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's been amazing for me through this and it's been so helpful. And so, yeah, it's a routine and, you know, I do. Have hey, a, you're in uh, a great I, part of the world though. San Diego lends itself to be able to go outside and, and do it every day. Yes, that does help. Um, I can't stand the treadmill, but I've had situations where I've been traveling, where I've had to get up at, you know, four in the morning to get my run in because I was traveling and I had to do it in the treadmill because it was in the snow or whatever. So, but it's, it's pushing through. Absolutely. All right, final thoughts, but I do want to remind everybody that February 21st or 22nd, uh, you can sign up for Chad and Julie, and I'll be in there with you guys too, interacting. So I'm looking forward to that. It's 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern both days. It's either or, okay? Yeah, so really important. It's one it's or the other. Or. Yes, yep. And we don't, did don't that because yeah, I, I thought, okay, Sunday, you know, Games haven't started yet, so Sunday night's a decent time. And then, especially for the college guys, Mondays are usually an off day where that might be a good time to set it up as well. Um, But what are some final thoughts you got here? 
Yeah. So real quick before the final thoughts. So we are offering, um, you know, some discounted pricing on the site. So you basically bring two, get one free is what we set it up because we want coaching staffs to do this together. Right. We want to, you know, hopefully the head coach department, whatever, bring it in, bring your pitching coach, bring your bench coach, your assistant coaches in as well. Um, That's really important that we create that culture um, and share that together. Perfect. Um, Now hit me with some final thoughts. Yeah, I think the final thoughts and and I'll go back. We, We talked about Joe Ehrman earlier. Right. And he I love this idea of, you know, years from now when we are on our deathbed and you know hopefully it's many years from now right and um you're gonna if you look at success and you want to know if you led a successful life you're gonna really ask yourself these two questions and these two questions only the first one is life is about relationships who did you love and who loved you right that's really the first thing and the second thing is did you live for something bigger than yourself it's why i love working with coaches and athletes and because they know what excellence looks like, right? It's hard to work with people that don't know what excellence looks like, right? Coaches, players, you know what excellence looks like. And one of our podcasts we did, we had Thomas Williams on, and uh, he does a lot of work with transitioning athletes into, and he talks about the athlete and what else, right? So what we really need to do as coaches is help our athletes while their identity is so wrapped around them as a player, them as an athlete, a baseball player, we need to help them find the and. That's the second part of what Joe Orman's talking about, living for something bigger than yourself. And we need to do that with our players and for our players. Uh, And I think if we do that and we make that, and and I'm amazed when I work with coaches. And your ex-players, you make a great point. And coaches listening in, if you want to really impact a human being, reach out to them when they are finished playing and ask them if they're okay and they need anything. Because that 23 to 28-year-old range, especially with the college athletes, when they're finished playing, you go from being at the top of the heap and you've worked your tail off to get to the top and be elite, and you've got to start all back over again with a new new career and new profession. That's a tough transition for those ex-athletes. Yeah, there there's two things there. First of all, The good news is, is because they do know what excellence looks like, right? They have achieved excellence in their life. We need to help reframe, reappraise the same things that help them excel in sports can help them excel in all areas of life. And it goes back to that idea of a championship mindset, which is not just sports related. Championship mindset is in all aspects of our life. And so that's the opportunity. And I'm amazed when I work with coaches that, and, and coaches on this that are listening probably could relate to this as well. When your athletes, when your players talk to you 5, 10, 15, 20 years after they've gone through your program, rarely do the conversations revolve around baseball. They rarely talk about, can you remember when we won that game or that championship or when I, you know, hit that, you know, walk off. It's not about that. You know, we talk about sports. It's the window of opportunity to help people excel in life. It's those life lessons that we can help teach them. And so I'm all in. Um, if any of the coaches on the call want to reach out directly to me, um, you can reach me at chat at championshipmindset.org. Check out the web- website, championshipmindset.org. And uh, you can also check out our podcast as well. We've got a lot of uh, great athletes and former players and, and coaches that have been on there as well. So really enjoyed this, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. And 
I say it all the time. You can find inspiration outside of the sport that you coach. Like this is a great example, you know, with your soccer background, I find so much inspiration from people outside the sporting arena, but within that coach other sports and deal with other sports. You can find inspiration anywhere. So Chad, thank you very much for coming on. This is awesome. Ryan, you've been amazing. Thanks for having me. And we look forward to doing more with you guys. Look forward to to, uh, being on on the 21st and 22nd of uh, February as well. Perfect. Chad and I got into a great flow. Uh, We could have kept going, but always cognizant of people's time. This is definitely a go back and listen to episode that you're going to pick up new things each time you listen to it. Reminder to get signed up for Chad and Julie's workshop, either February 21st, 6 to 9 p.m. or February 22nd, 6 to 9 p.m. at abca.org. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email rbrownlee at abca.org. Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh,